0: Hey guys, it's Ellie, and welcome to Classic Mysteries. You're in the right place. So, if you've never been here before, let me kind of lay down what we're going to be doing this week. So essentially what happens is I have this book that I read out of it. It's called A Minute Mysteries by H.A. Ripley. I have it linked in the show notes, actually, so you can follow along if you like. But every week I read three puzzles out of there, and, uh... (laughs) And after reading each of the three, I try my darndest to find the solution, or to, I, I don't know, parse through the clues, and... I don't know if I succeed or not. And if you don't know, Minute Mysteries are just like little like scenario kind of logic puzzles that they give you that are there kind of to test your logic and your deductive skills and your, you know, things like that. It's very detective-y, it's it's a lot of fun. (laughs) So yeah, anyways, we'll see how many I get right. Last week I actually got one out of three right, but that was really good because the two weeks before that I'd gotten zero out of three right. (laughs) So hopefully I keep up my streak of not getting zero correct, but yeah, so anyways. Uh, With no more waffle, let's jump right in. Who? "'I was trying to stop the flow with this, Professor,' said Weeds, the butler, indicating a blood-covered towel he had just removed from the bed, when Jones struck at me and I dropped it. "'And I'm sorry I missed!' angrily exclaimed Jones, the colored chauffeur. "'Never mind that,' said Inspector Kelly. "'And did you find her, Weeds?' asked Professor forney, "'Yes, sir.' "'She's a good-looking mulatto,' remarked Kelly, looking at the maid lying on the floor at the side of the bed. Her right hand outstretched, the wrist deeply cut, rested in a pool of blood on the polished floor. "'Must have slipped off the bed.' "'I don't think so. The spread hasn't a wrinkle in it,' said forney, noting the immaculate coverlet of pink lace, the edge caught under the girl's body. "'She was almost gone when I found her,' offered Weeds, "'and she died before I could get a doctor.' Is this yours, Jones? inquired Fortney, picking up a sharp knife hidden by the girl's dress. Yes, she wanted to cut the stems of the flowers I had brought up. I didn't see that knife when I tried to help her, said Weeds. Of course you didn't! You put it there! shouted Jones angrily. How do you know? You weren't here. And what's more, I heard you threatened her last night. You don't see any flowers here, do you, Inspector? quietly asked Weeds. You're right, said Kelly. After whispering to Fortney, he continued on. Come on, you're under arrest, and you will question later. Whom did Kelly arrest and why? (laughs) Okay, okay, interesting, interesting. So this starts off actually in a very strange way. Uh, (laughs) It starts off in a scenario where Fortney and Inspector Kelly are already on the scene, and they're already kind of like in the middle of talking about it. So we're kind of dropped into the middle of a scene without very much context. So the farther that we read, the more context that we get very very strange so yeah let's kind of go through some of the clues that we get so we can kind of summarize and keep track of everything in our heads right so what seems to be the case is that a maid is dead and she died because her wrist was slit and she basically just bled out and according to the story that we get the butler came in found her bleeding to death and tried to like you know cover her wrist with a towel and stuff to try and stop the flow And then the chauffeur, Jones, apparently walked in and was like, Hey, what are you doing? Then smacked him. And Weeds, who was the butler who used the towel, thought that it was Jones that had done it, the chauffeur, because Jones's knife was found under the girl's body. Jones's story is that he brought up the knife to cut the flowers that the maid wanted. But according to Weeds, he didn't see that knife when he was up there before. And then Jones said that Weeds put the knife there instead of himself and, you know, all that. Also, according to Weeds, the butler again, Jones was threatening the girl the night before. And also, there aren't any flowers in the room, so his story about the knife being there to cut the flowers is a little bit strange, but who knows? So yeah, that's basically all of the the clues. So, uh, (laughs) I've been kind of reading a little bit around, and I noticed something. Around the middle of the story, Fordney says, I don't think that the girl fell off the bed because the bedspread isn't wrinkled. However... In the very, very first paragraph, Weeds picks up a blood-covered towel that he removed from the bed and then, according to him, Jones struck him and he dropped it. So, if he picked it up from the bed, we can assume that that's where he dropped it to. But, like, so the girl didn't fall off the bed, so why was the towel that the butler was using on the bed? (laughs) That's weird. So, yeah, I'm not sure if that's, like, related to any solution or anything, but I noticed that. Solutions aren't usually that... I don't know, shaky? Like, that doesn't seem like a very solid answer, but, I mean, it's unanswer if I don't have anything else, so... Anyways, let's, uh, let's keep looking. You know, the more I read, the more I think that it's strange that Fordney specifically mentions that she wasn't on the bed because it wasn't wrinkled. However, the bedspread, uh, like, the coverlet, the edge is cut under the girl's body. And also, according to Weeds, the butler, the knife was found under her, and... According to him, he didn't notice the knife when he was looking at her before and trying to, you know, keep her alive. (laughs) And so, yeah, obviously he wouldn't notice the knife if the girl was already there. Like, if the girl was already on the floor on top of the knife, then, yeah, he wouldn't have noticed. But, like, yeah, I don't know. Especially the thing that I mentioned before, like, the coverlet on the bed, like, was cut under the girl's body. I don't know. (laughs) Because they don't mention any blood being on the bedspread, so I don't think she was actually, like, attacked on the bed, you know? oh, but it's so weird that, like, the coverlet is under her and, like, the knife is under her and, like, what the heck, you know? That leads me to believe that someone moved her, like, right after she was injured or something. Because, like, if there isn't blood anywhere else, then, like, either they knocked her out and then, like, sliced her on the when she was lying down on the floor. Like, yeah, yeah, that, that actually makes a little bit of sense. Maybe they dragged her off the bed, like, after knocking her out and that's why the coverlet is kind of under her. Oh, but then why is the knife under her? <laughs> I mean, we can assume that that's the weapon, like, that caused the damage. So why is she lying on top of it? Or why is her dress covering it, at least? Yeah, I'm just confused. (laughs) I'm so confused. (laughs) Oh my goodness. I'm I'm overthinking this, for sure. (laughs) I mean, I think there's something strange with the bedspread, and I think there's something strange with the knife. I don't know if they're connected, but my brain is telling me that there's something weird there. I just can't identify it, so... (laughs) I tried my hardest, and, uh, yeah... (laughs) goodness let's read the solution and find out if i was right kelly arrested weeds the butler he said he dropped on the bed the blood covered towel with which he was trying to arrest the flow from the maid's wrist as jones struck him yet kelly and forney found the bed coverlet immaculate had weeds done as he said there would have been bloodstains on the bed cover was i right was i correct i think i was (laughs) Yeah, because he literally said, like, yeah, he dropped the towel, but it was, like, covered in, like, fresh blood on the bed cover, and yet the bed cover was complete. I mean, (laughs) okay, okay. So, my solution, my idea of, like, why did he drop it on the bed if the bed is clean? I mean, I wasn't following that exact line of thinking. I was thinking, like, well, if the girl was on the floor, how did he drop it on the bed? You know, that was my thinking. But do you think it's similar enough for me to get the point? (laughs) Like it had to do with the towel, it had to do with the bedspread and it being clean, and it had to do with um Jones striking him and him dropping it. So oh man. Um Ah, <laughs> <sighs> yeah, I'm going to give myself the point. <laughs> why not? <laughs> sure, whatever. Uh, you know what? I'll I'll take that. That was pretty cool. I was so confused. I was way overthinking that. I was like, but why is the knife there? Who put the knife? Why is it under the dress? How did it get there? How why did he not t-? anyways? I was way overthinking that. And my first solution was actually pretty close. Like, it was close enough that I got the point, so I'm satisfied with that. (laughs) Anyways, uh, let's move on to the next one, shall we? Murder in the Swamp We'd better walk along the edge, said Professor Fordney, as they started down the only path leading through the swamp. I never thought of that. I was on the porch when Barton left, said Bob, as he trudged along. Ten minutes later, I heard a shot, I ran down the path and found him about five hundred yards from the house, bleeding terribly from a wound in the head. I dashed back for the first aid kit and bandaged him as best I could. He died shortly afterwards. Then I returned and telephoned you. Reaching the body of Barden, he explained. I turned him over so that I could dress his head. He must have been shot from over there, between those three sets of footprints. Because those three sets of footprints are yours and the other one Barton's, said Fortney after a careful examination. Let's look in that underbrush. Walking into it a few yards, he said, Here's where the murderer stood, all right. See those powder marks on the leaves? While removing the branch, Forney cut his finger. Better sterilize that professor. Back at the cottage, as he was about to pick up a mercurochrome bottle from the kit Bob had used, he observed a spot of blood on the label. Walking over to the basin, he saw Bob in the mirror above it furtively slip a pair of scissors into the kit. Turning slowly around, he said, I'll have to hold you on suspicion of murder. Why? <laughs> okay, okay, very interesting. So this has to do with a murder in a swamp, obviously, as the title tells us. And yeah, so Barton, who is apparently Bob's friend or relative or something, it doesn't exactly say, um, apparently just left the house that is in a swamp one day, and ten minutes later, he heard a shot and he was dying from a gunshot wound in the head. Barton died, obviously, Um, even though Bob ran back to the house got the first aid kit and tried to bandage him as best as he could afterwards. Obviously these stories are just chock full of red herrings and they try to just confuse you. At the very end, Professor Forney cuts his finger and they need to go back to the cabin to kind of sterilize it with the first aid kit that Bob has at his cabin, the same one that he allegedly used, to help his friend. What I believe the obvious answer to be- not necessarily the correct answer because those are often red herrings- but the obvious answer is that he sees Bob putting scissors into the first aid kit, kind of, like, furtively like, behind his back. And then right after that, Fordney arrests him. My thinking is that if he dressed his friend's wound with that first aid kit, there should have been scissors in there already. However, he did dress his friend's head. I'm assuming that, it doesn't mention it, but I'm assuming that the corpse has, like, a dressed head wound. Because even though he's the murderer... He still probably dressed the head wound to keep up appearances and to keep his story straight. Because, like, that's the obvious thing to do. So I wouldn't think that, you know, he would have an imperfect first aid kit if he did actually have to use it just to keep his story straight, even though the victim was probably already dead at that point. So yeah, um, that scissors thing, that, like, furatively putting scissors into a first aid kit thing, I think that's a little bit too obvious. I think that's also pretty shaky. So I'm not going to use that as my solution, although... If I have no other solution, then that will have to be my kind of emergency idea, so... Yeah, anyways. Let's look around and kind of see what we can find. So, I noticed something. This isn't related to a solution, I don't think, in any way. However, according to Bob, his friend Barton had walked down the swamp path for 10 minutes. And then he heard a shot, and he was only 500 yards from the house. Like, a 10-minute walk is 500 yards? Like, dude... (laughs) So, like I said, that doesn't necessarily have to do anything with a solution, it's just something that I noticed, you know? (laughs) If it ends up being related to the actual solution, then I will absolutely take credit for that. (laughs) But, you know, whatever. Anyways, let's uh, keep looking. One thing that I'm kind of confused about is the footprints. Because according to Fordney... There were three sets of footprints that were Bob's and one set that was Barton's. So obviously it makes sense that Barton had one set of footprints because he just walked out into the swamp and then died. So it makes sense that he wouldn't have walked back or anything. And then there are the three sets of Bob's footprints. I mean, obviously we know that he's the murderer. However, all those footprints, as far as I can tell, are accounted for because there's one set where he runs out to his friend, one set where he runs back to the cabin to get the stuff. And then the third set is when he runs back to his friend with the bandages and stuff like that. And so... (laughs) Either uh, Bob was able to hide his footprints or I'm just reading this wrong and my brain is the size of a peanut, which is not an uncommon thing on the show. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know what's going on. I think that um, the three sets of footprints obviously could have been faked because if they're in a swamp then it's. I'm assuming that it's very, very humid, and so footprints would be very, very noticeable in the sand. So I'm sure that the murderer, who was Bob, obviously, kind of took account of that, and then made sure to walk kind of in the underbrush when he was going out to shoot his friend. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's all I got. I'm really confused. So, <laughs> So, yeah, let's just look at the solution and see if any of my ideas were even close to right. The three sets of Bob's footprints in the path told Fordney the story. Had Bob been at the house when his friend was shot, as he contended, there would have been four sets of his footprints. Wait, what? <laughs> we went over this. There should be three, because if he runs out to his friend, back for the the medicine stuff, and then out to his friend again. Oh no, wait, no. Oh, and then he went back to the house to phone Fordney. Oh my gosh, I completely forgot about that. <laughs> I was just thinking about the murder that happened before Fordney came at all. I wasn't even thinking about what he did after he bandaged his friend, like, that's all I was thinking of, so, wow, okay, that <laughs> was staring me right in the face, and I was just not seeing it, that is the saddest thing ever. <laughs> oh my goodness, yeah, see, at least I was right about the whole medicine thing being a red herring, because obviously that's way too obvious, like, him furtively putting scissors into the first aid kit, like, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean anything, you know? <laughs> but yeah, anyways, let's move on to the third and final puzzle for the week death by drowning we were just getting into our boat said the elder carol brother when we happened to notice ridge out there in the middle of the river opposite wolf's old abandoned dock acting very queerly he jumped up and down in the boat and then all of a sudden grabbed an oar threw it up in the air and jumped in we rowed to the spot and i dived after him while my brother secured his boat the currents fast here but i'm a strong swimmer i swam around while my brother rowed about but we could find no trace of him he concluded "'We found the oar, all right, in the weeds at Wolf's Dock,' interjected Riley, of the river patrol. "'How wide is the river at that point?' asked Professor Fordney. "'About half a mile,' said Carol. "'Pretty lonely, too, isn't it?' "'It is that,' replied Riley. "'The coroner's report said Ridge had received a blow of some kind on the chin. "'Know anything about it, Carol?' inquired Fordney. "'No, I don't. It might have hit a rock or the side of the boat when he went over.' Were you up or down river from Ridge? Uh, Up river, about 300 yards on the west side. Did you and your brother have on bathing suits at the time? I did, but my brother didn't. Are there any blood stains in Ridge's boat, Riley? Well, there are stains, all right, and they look like blood to me. I'm not surprised. Hold them both. Why was the professor suspicious of the Carroll brothers? Oh boy. (laughs) So this is a supposedly a river murder, or at least a river, you know, intentional drowning, which is basically murder. So the story here is that there are three brothers and two boats. So one brother, whose name is Ridge, was apparently uh, acting very strangely out on the river while the other two brothers were getting into their boat. So the other two brothers were kind of watching their other brother as they kind of got into their boat and they were kind of concerned for him because he was acting strange. So what happened is that They were watching him, and Ridge, the person who died, was jumping up and down in his boat, and then all of a sudden he grabbed an oar, chucked it up in the air, and then jumped in the water. And, uh, (laughs) that's real strange. It's real queer behavior, I would say. And so, immediately his two brothers, who were just getting into their boat, as I mentioned, they immediately paddle over, and the older brother, who is the actual one that we're talking to, is the one that dived after his brother, while his other brother- this is getting really confusing- the other brother that was in the boat with the eldest brother- (laughs) It kind of held on to Ridge's boat and kept it, you know, safe. And so even though the current was fast in the river, the eldest was a very strong swimmer, apparently. He was swimming around trying to look for Ridge, who had fallen in, and the middle brother, I'm just going to call him the middle brother, I don't know if he is the middle brother, but the middle brother, who is the one in the boat with the elder brother, was just kind of rowing around while the eldest brother was swimming around. They couldn't find Ridge, according to them, so yeah. (laughs) And apparently the river patrol could find the ore that he supposedly threw just fine in the weeds right next to Wolf's Dock, which is where Ridge was found originally doing his weird stuff. This is getting real confusing, but I hope you're able to follow me. (laughs) And according to Carol, the oldest brother, I should have named him before, but his name is Carol, the river was about half a mile wide at that point, which is, I mean, for someone who lives in a desert, thinking of a river that is half a mile wide is kind of crazy. (laughs) I'm sure there are rivers that are wider than half a mile, but like, I don't know, that just seems like a massive river to me. Anyways, um, oh, also, after they talk about, um, how wide the river is, Fordney mentions that Ridge, who's the person who died, obviously, received a blow on the chin before he died, or maybe after he died or something. And, yeah, Carol, the oldest brother, doesn't know anything about it and is kind of, like, confused. Maybe he says they, like, hit the boat or hit the rock or something. And then another thing that Carol mentions is that he was upriver from Ridge, about 300 yards on the west side. And according to Carol, his middle brother didn't have a, a swimsuit on, but he did. So that's why he was the one that swam around. And um, yeah, also, according to the river patrol person, there were bloodstains on Ridge's boat, which supposedly Ridge was alone in before he died or before he jumped in. But, you know, considering that there are bloodstains in there, I somehow doubt that he was actually alone in his boat. Um, so yeah, this is, <laughs> is kind of getting complex with the whole three brothers and like... Yeah, it's this is a little bit strange, but yeah, let's just, um, let's just look around to see what we can find. According to Carol, quote, the current is fast there, which is referring to where Ridge fell into the water. So if the current is fast, then how was Ridge able to jump up and down in his boat without falling over? Because according to the story, again, Ridge was acting strangely. He jumped up and down in his boat, he threw an oar into the air, and then he jumped into the water. But how could he jump on his boat without falling into the water, to begin with? Because if the current is fast, I mean, you really don't want to be standing up in your boat and jumping, <laughs> you know? So that is a little bit strange. Okay, okay, this is this is kind of strange. I think I noticed another uh, thing. So it mentions how Ridge is kind of opposite of Wolf's old abandoned dock, so we're just going to refer to it as the dock. Um, but according to, you know, the very beginning, Ridge was opposite the dock. However, if he was moving downstream like he would, if there was an actual current, then when he threw the ore into the air how did it get into the weeds at wolf's dock like how did it travel over there (laughs) because i would assume that you know by the time that he finished doing his strange jumping thing and he threw the ore into the air that he would be too far downriver to have hit the wolf's dock (laughs) i think there's something strange with how they found the ore in the weeds and of course there are bloodstains in the boat but i'm not even going to mention that that seems like it's too obvious just like last puzzle, you know, like it's probably a red herring because it's too obvious. Because all we need to know is why Fordney's suspicious. We don't need to solve the entire murder. We just need to know. We just need to find one thing that is a little bit strange. So uh, yeah, I've thrown out a bunch of ideas and I think that I've thrown out enough ideas that I'm satisfied that I might get it. So <laughs> yeah, let's uh, read the solution and see if I read this story correctly at all. Had the accident occurred as explained by Carol, the ore of Ridge's boat could not have been found, as it was, at the dock opposite the point where he jumped in. The current would have deposited it downstream. Therefore, the professor recommended the detention of the brothers. Yeah, I was correct. (laughs) I got it right, because uh, this is talking about the current not allowing the ore to be found at Wolf's Dock, and that's literally what I just mentioned. Like, that was my last idea that I threw out. And uh, yeah, that's very exciting, you know? I got two out of three right, or if you wanna be really nitpicky, I got like one and three quarters right (laughs) because the first one was a tad bit sketchy, but whatever, we don't talk about that. But yeah, that was a great episode and I really enjoyed that, especially like they were hard today and I'm glad that I still got a couple of them kind of right. Uh, So yeah, I'm pretty proud of myself. So yeah, I hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. As I mentioned in the very beginning, I have the ebook that I'm reading from in the show notes so you can follow along if you like and maybe find the solution before me. And also, I have an email. So if you check out the show notes, then you'll notice that there is an email there that you can send book recommendations or other things like that, like feedback and comments and stuff like that. It's classicmysteriespod at gmail.com. I I would love it if you sent uh, stuff there, especially you could also send uh, your stories of trying to solve the Minute Mysteries stuff before I do. (laughs) Uh, I think that would be a lot of fun if you kind of shared some of your successes and your failures. I think that'd be a lot of fun. Anyways... Oh, also, if you've never listened to some of my main episodes, so this is obviously a Minute Mysteries episode. As I'm sure you noticed, my regular episodes are called Classic Mysteries, and the whole premise is that I just read books and I comment on them. Like, I read old mystery books and I make jokes, and it's great, and it's a party. And actually, just last week, just last Monday, I finished Bulldog Drummond, which was a very long running series that I had running. It was like 13 or 14 parts, and you know, it was crazy long, and it was, you know, an absolute roller coaster of a book. And so, you know, if you if you guys wanted to kind of get into listening to my podcast, totally just binge Bulldog Drummond. It's a good book. <laughs> and uh, next week it looks like I'll be uh, I'll be doing some more Sherlock Holmes. So if you also wanted to uh, tune in for that, I think that'll be fun because Sherlock Holmes is always good. So yeah. Anyways, thank you so much for tuning in, and I hope that you guys have a wonderful week. So see you guys next Thursday. Hasta la vista, losers. <laughs> Maybe I'm the loser. <laughs>